Last year, the Ottawa Senators were the laughing stock of the NHL, and the brass was thrown right into the fire. This year, it looked like the Dallas Stars would be heading in that same direction until the Edmonton Oilers said, hold my beer, and flat-out upstaged them this week by uh, firing their GM. And now we're left wondering how long it's going to take for them to clean up a decade-long mess. So uh, we'll talk about that. Meanwhile, uh, the NHL stars shined in San Jose, Bikegate returns, and our mid-season awards are unveiled. Hope you're ready for episode 156 because the fun starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go any further, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am, yes. All right, question 44. Superstars of Kenny Malkin and Ilya Kovalchuk wear sweater numbers honoring which Hockey Hall of Fame member? Is it A, Brett Hull, B, Valerie Karlamov, C, Yari Curry, or D, Slava Fetisov? Uh, wait, you said Malkin and who? Uh, Malkin and Kovalchuk. Okay, so it's probably a Russian. Um, I don't know. <laughs> now it's just a guess on which Russian it is. I, I think you said Fetisov, right? That sounds good. Uh, so A, Brett Hull, B, Valerie Karlamov, C, Yari Curry, D, Slava Fetisov. Uh, yeah, I think it's F- F- Slava Fetisov sounds the most Russian, so I'm going with that. <laughs> it was Karlamov. Uh, okay. It was between yeah, so those two. <laughs> what, what's interesting is because they weren't yet born when... Um, Karlamov died in 1981. He was hmm. 33 when he died. But um, if you remember the 72 Summit Series... Um, of course I remember. <laughs> he displayed a lot of individual creativity um, with with the Soviet Union. And you know you're a threat when Bobby Clark basically just gives you a two-hander and fractures your ankle. So um, it's it, it's kind of interesting how he was a pivotal part of Russian hockey but not too many people of our generation know who the heck he is but yeah. if you if you watch the 72 summit series his uh his impact is is well known especially right. when you see Bobby Clark's vicious slash to his ankle oh wow okay yeah I haven't seen that vicious uh the 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 hit you're referring to but um I'll take your word for it <laughs> yeah um, what, I, what, what I will say is that Fedosov is Russian, but I believe he wore number two. Okay. And I'm pretty sure Kovalchuk and Malkin... They're like 71, uh, I think. Well, yeah, Kovalchuk wore 17, Malkin wore 71. Right, right. So, oh, that's a good point, um, too. Yeah, they, yeah, so basically, yeah, I guess 17 is... is uh, I guess 71 is 17 the other way around. So right. It makes sense. Okay. Um, so we're going to start this episode with, uh, talking about the Oilers, uh, cause they, uh, fired Peter Chiarelli. Um, it was kind of interesting too, cause they, 
Um, I mean, it was kind of a long time coming. Uh, you know, he uh, he had a lot of uh, crazy moves in his time in Edmonton, uh, but uh, he uh, I guess the final straw was that he signed. Miko Koskinen for three years, four point five million. Reportedly, that was all on uh, like Chirelli and Koskinen's agent were the only two who were like who did that, or like they were like it was like Chirelli didn't really take it up on everyone else. Um, but you know, Chirelli's his ten years more known for. Um, his time, his other even bigger news, uh, like his trade for Hall, uh, trade when he traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. He also mm -hmm. traded Jordan Eberly to uh, New York for the Islanders for um, for Ryan Strom, and then he traded Ryan Strom for Ryan Spooner, and then he put he recently put Ryan Spooner on waivers. As with uh, Ty Ratty, and um, and then all of a sudden, uh, no one claimed them, which makes sense. But then they were, you know, then they were back up on the pro roster, so that was also weird. Um, other news that other big moves that he made that uh, were kind of questionable, uh, like uh, he signed Lucic to a long-term contract when he was like 31 years old um, uh, for a lot of money and kind of like uh, kind of uh, changed the whole cap situation for Edmonton. Uh, he also made, um, yeah, I mean, he obviously, uh, he signed uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid, but those are more uh, two long-term uh, contracts. But those were, you know, expected to do to yeah, happen. Yeah, like those are no. That's a no. Yeah, those for are ATM. exactly. Um, like it would just be weird if he didn't. Um, however, like when you sign those guys, you know, Dreisaitl hasn't been great without McDavid on his line. So if you're gonna pay him, if you're gonna pay Drysaddle 8.5 million, you kind of expect him to be a second line center or a winger, and that was partly why they even treated Taylor Hall and um, in the first place was because they're like, oh, we have Drysaddle, we can like, we need uh, we need to get um, something back or you know. Um, which I guess doesn't, I guess that's not necessarily true. Never mind, I take that back. But the point is, is that um, when you pay, you pay, you're paying McDavid $12 million, you're paying Leon Dreisaitl $8.5 million, and then you're paying Milan Lucic $6 million. You have Ryan Nugent Hoppins, who's making $6 million, who's also good players. But that's about it. Um, and you can, I mean, obviously you can argue that Milan Lucic isn't even worth six million but the other three that i just mentioned are definitely worth that much um uh but it's just you know it's now it's just the rest of the team and that's pretty much has has been their issues for the the past couple of years um they're second to last in their division but they could still make the playoffs which is kind of crazy um they are, I think they're currently, 
Um, they're three points out of the last wild card spot um, at the moment. So they, uh, which is kind of a crazy thing when you really think about it. It's like despite all this stuff, despite them losing, despite them, you know, being second second to last on their team, they're still in it somehow. Um, so uh, let's, so for, oh, I also forgot to mention that Keith Gretzky is going to be the interim GM for the time being. Um, yeah, and you were, you were telling me off the record that you're not a big fan of Keith Gretzky. Right? No, no, because he was the scout for Chirelli. Um, actually, before we get into Keith Gretzky, I, I, I want to give you the opportunity to just talk in general about um, what I just talked about. Okay. Well, the interesting thing about this firing was, yeah, it happened after the Koskinen extension, like not even a full 48 hours. Mm -hmm. But then they can him second intermission against the Detroit game where they just looked out of sorts uh, so they could give him a chance to leave the building quietly. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Like the Gallant uh, getting into the, the taxi there. Right, right. Uh, when, when he was canned by Florida, like I thought that was cool. I mean, like just the timing of how his demise happened is is just as mind-boggling as some of the decisions that he made like like why 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 when he makes a big signing like that a signing that's approved by the organization do they suddenly kick him to the curb big game like that 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 just doesn't make sense to me so anyways he lasts three and a half seasons he's uh, he's made 89 contracts um, for a total value of almost 485 million. He's drafted 27 guys, traded 38 away. That courtesy of cap friendly hats up to them. So let's so let's take a look at what Peter Shirelli did. Let's grade him for a second. So in the first year of his time at the Oilers, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because he built a Stanley Cup contender in Boston. So he had credibility to his name. The Oilers hadn't done better without him during his time with Boston. So I consider him a fresh face that could bring some good results um, his way with Edmonton. And it should be noted that as bad as the Oilers are doing, it's still better than some of the seasons they had before they hired Peter Shirelli. Right. So it wasn't hard for him to set the bar pretty high because this was a team that couldn't even make the playoffs, that couldn't even get out of the bottom 10 in the league. So right. it was absolutely easy for Peter Shirelli to make an impact because the other guys couldn't. So at the time the Griffin Reinhardt deal was made, I gave it a chance. And then Matt Barzell goes off last year. I'm just like, okay, this deal's quickly gone yep. south. Griffin Reinhardt I forgot to play mention a the, role. Yeah. I forgot to mention the Griffin Reinhardt. Yeah. Debacle. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure a lot of Oilers fans were probably mumbling under the breath, don't mention the Griffin Reinhardt trade. Yeah, don't mention sure. it. Don't mention it. And then I just mentioned it. So. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. Well, um, so you did that, mention the Lucic deal, though. Yep. That was pretty pricey. I was carefully optimistic about that because I'm just thinking, okay, this is a guy that's going to make it tougher for people to push McDavid around. Um, you know, he can provide the odd goal. It was a bit pricey, but I, I thought in in hindsight it's a bad deal. But at the time, I, I didn't think yeah. it was as bad as it is now. At the, the, the Matt Barzal, Griffin Reinhardt stuff, I'm not necessarily sure you can take it all on – on Chirelli, uh for that move. I mean, obviously, uh, Barzal is a great player and and all that stuff. But at the same time, this was like the 16th pick. So if 
if like map art like if we were to do like this was 2015 so if you were to do this 2015 draft over again like matt barzal would be in the top 10 obviously mm -hmm. he's not better than mcdavid or eichel but like you know he would easily be in the top five so mm -hmm. um so i think it's all about like hindsight and obviously i i come i'm a little bit biased considering uh the bruins passed up on him three times um but you know you know the there was a bunch of ton, tons of players that both the Oilers and the Bruins passed up on at that time. You know, Shabbat, Besser, um, Connor, uh, and of course Barzal. So Barzell. So it's it's tough to like really like it's hard to really blame them for that necessarily because who knows what the the Oilers would have picked if they had him for 16th of course you don't trade for a guy like griffin reinhardt um who hasn't like who didn't even have like a spark of um anything really when you um in new york islanders so i, I guess you can get him for that for even making that trade um but at the same time it's kind of like in terms of actually drafting it's it's unclear who the oilers would have taken if if they hadn't made that trade um, which g takes me to this, uh, Keith Gretzky, cause when he was on the, when, uh, Chirelli was on the Bruins and Keith Gretzky was there, he, Keith Gretzky was the scout for the Bruins. And that was like, so Chirelli was known as the guy at the end of his tenure. Like, of course he won the Bruins, a Stanley cup, which by the way, I'm astounded that Chirelli even, uh, won a cup for us. So it's crazy. Um, I guess that's how he got this far or he got the Oilers job to begin yeah. with. But anyways, um, but one of the big things was is that he, you know, he traded away Boychuk um, to the Islanders of all teams. Um, yeah, and this was, to recap, this is when yeah, it was with Boston. Exactly. Edmonton. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I should have been clear. <laughs> and uh, and then we signed Dennis Seidenberg for, like, I think, like, four years or two years or something like that, um, which Seidenberg's a good player. He just wasn't, like, uh, he was, like, a, a ghost of his former self when we signed him like, to that contract, um, right. and he wasn't as good as Boychuk is right now. Um, and then, uh, and then he also, and then he also like signed Chris Kelly, um, to a long-term contract. And, you know, there was a bunch of like moves where he kind of like, you know, he forced our hand in the cap hell. Um, and then another big issue was, is that our drafting wasn't great. Um, sure. We got guys like, um, you know, Bergeron, I mean, I guess he can't take credit for that, but uh Kessel Sagan and Dougie Hamilton um who were all great uh, players who we draft the Bruins drafted but of course who we are gonna you know of course those guys are gonna be great because you know those were like can't miss prospects and we picked those guys in the top 10 but then everyone else that we drafted um were tough to really uh like argue because like you know the later rounds weren't great i mean sure he drafted uh milan lucic in the later rounds um i think brad marchand was a scott gordon draft pick um so 
uh, in his time when he was uh, there. And of course, Bergeron and Krejci so many years later. Um, and Pasternak was also a, another 2014 pick, but um, for the Bruin, for Torelli, but like, I feel like this is history kind of repeating yeah, itself because exactly. Nesu also can't draft outside of the first round. Oh yeah, Edmonton. And you could and you could argue that he can't really draft out in the first round um, either because there was like um, Zach. Yeah, Puliarvi at number four. Yeah, we had Puliarvi at number four. Uh, Yamamoto. It's still too early to tell how good he'll be or if he's a bust. I do like Yamamoto though. It was a late first rounder. Though, yeah, so and that's that, true. That's not a bad pick as a late first rounder. True. Um, and uh, Bouchard seems like he could be good. Um, mm. and like the but like the Bruins like they passed up. Every uh, I, I still remember. Actually, I don't know if if he was on the Bruins at this time. But I do remember the Bruins passed up on Logan Couture. Um, I think uh, like the next day, the like the next, after the next pick and we picked Zach Hamill. Um, so, but I don't think, actually now that I think about it, I don't think Chirelli was the GM at that time. Anyways, the point, uh, there's like Jordan Caron was one of them. Um, I remember that, but that was a late first round pick. Anyways, the point being that, like, it, it was history repeating himself. And then when the Oilers hired him, I thought, like, okay, he may, um, he may learn from his mistakes. Of course, you, you know, you trade Tyler Sagan, and, you know, it shows that you should never trade. Like, he, he's learning. Like, he, you should never trade your prospects. Um, he also traded Blake Wheeler. I'm remembering that now, too. Uh, this is like PTSD here. <laughs> and in fairness, though, yeah. we, Blake Wheeler wasn't nearly the stud that he is. Now. Yeah, and and we ended up winning a cup that year too. So it's hard to really argue about that. But uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, I would having said that, I would rather have Blake Wheeler than Rich uh, Rich Peverly um, yeah. right now. Um, and it it was like once when you trade Tyler Sagan, you're like, okay, that was a dumb trade he's not going to do that in the Oilers. And boy, was I wrong. So, you know, he trades yeah. Taylor once Hall. He got to, once yeah. he got to the Hall for Larson, Everly for Strom stuff, yeah. that's when I was really scratching my head. And then he goes to the Koskinen thing where I'm, yeah. I'm just like, this isn't even a good deal when he <laughs> signed it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I don't know what, so I guess if we have a couple of questions here. Um, because I guess we have to get going because I could just go on a rant about Chirelli here. Um, well, we have a short Bruins Sun segment. So true, we, true. Got I, we have some time. Anyways, uh, what grade would you give Chirelli in his time with the Oilers and was it all his fault? Um, like we mentioned, we, we did mention the hall the for um, Larson, which like kind of knocks him down <laughs> a <laughs> bit. Um, obviously, uh, the Eberly for Strom, um, and then trading Strom for, uh, Spooner and now Strom's doing decently in New York, um, in, uh, for the Rangers. So it's like, uh, that's not great. Um, so his trades weren't great. Um, it's, you know, and this kind of takes me back to like, was it all his fault? Um, it's kind of tough because, like, as bad as 
Chirelli has been as a GM, I don't know if it's necessarily all his fault because, the, you know, when I look at the upper management, like Kevin Lowe, I'm talking about Kevin Lowe, Craig McTavish, um, the owner I'm blanking on right now, Keats. Daryl Cates. Daryl Cates. This is their fourth rebuild. This is like their fourth GM. Uh, this will be their f- fourth GM that they're going to be working with. Um, yeah, fourth GM in 10 years to be replaced. Yeah, and Kevin Lowe, ha- Kevin Lowe and Craig McTavish really only have a job just because they were former Oilers. They have no other qualifications other than that. Um, it reminds me of another team. Oh, yeah, Philadelphia, who also oh, fired their head yeah. coach, also fired their GM this year. I thought you were going to go with Boston, but yes, <laughs> Philadelphia is another too, team. But at least they're yeah. good. <laughs> That's Semi-good. true. Um, but like, it's like those like but this is like the difference between philly and boston versus edmonton is that like philly is has made the playoffs every now and then you know boston has is always in the running they sometimes miss the playoffs but no like they're still a good team the oilers are like the laughing stock of the nhl and it's all because of this old boys club that they have here. And I, mm-hmm. so I would give Trelli like a C minus, um, just from all the moves that we just talked about, but I don't think it's all entirely his fault. Cause it's not like when you make a big move, like trading Taylor Hall or trading, even trading Jordan Eberle, you're like, you have to talk to upper management about that. So those guys definitely approved of trading Taylor Hall and trading um, all the big trades that he made. Um, probably even the trading, getting Griffin Reinhardt and signing Milan Lucic to a long-term extension like that. So the, that all needed to have approval from upper management. Uh, so I feel like it's like it's one of those things where like. I I just want to see like all hell break loose in Edmonton because especially when you have a guy like Connor McDavid who is by far the best player in the league and you can't build around him like it just it blows my mind that they're still not even like a playoff team so um, like we're talking about like oh they might make the playoffs um, but even still it's just you know, like I, I, I would just want to see them blow it up. Um, I don't know how. I feel like it's too late this season, but you're wasting prime years of Connor McDavid. Um, if you don't write this ship too soon, you might waste his career. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong. Um, I'll, I'll be a bit more generous to Shirley. I'll give him a B minus simply because. The people be- that came before him got zero results, okay, and two of fair. which are still around. Kevin Lowe, former GM, Craig McTavish, former GM. Neither could really build themselves a consistent playoff team, and neither could Shirelli. But this team was one game away from the Western Conference Finals in 2017. They at least made some strides that year. Yep. But what they didn't have to deal with back then that they have to deal with now is a lot of tough contracts. And, you know, McDavid and Leon are worth it. But you have Sakara, who's a good defenseman, not that good to warrant close to $6 million per year, especially when you consider um, his unfortunate injury history. True. The Lucic contract, of course, sucks. Um, 
And then you have Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Maybe you could get good value for him in a trade. Uh, they mm. didn't have to worry about these big contracts when Shirelli came in because they were a young, rebuilding hockey team. Um, now they're expected to do something. And I don't know if it's possible to stay in contention and not rebuild. And that's why I'm not so sure I believe Bob Nicholson when he says this team's not in rebuild Bob Nicholson's mode. another one, yeah. Yeah, like they don't have to rebuild maybe, but I think they have to retool this roster to an extent because I don't accept that this is a roster capable of making the playoffs anymore, whether it's Ken Hitchcock behind the bench or somebody else. Like if it was, if it had something to do with the coach, Ken Hitchcock would have fixed the problem by now, but yeah. that's not the case. And I don't know if you heard uh, Jeremy Roenick absolutely embase the Oilers during the secondary mission. I assume Australia is getting fired at this point. Here's some of what Jeremy Roenick had to say during Edmonton, Detroit, uh, in the secondary mission. It boggles my mind that this is a professional hockey team. The Edmonton Oilers are so bad. They can't put two passes together. Their passing decisions, their position defensively, they appear to be confused in all three zones, throwing passes up the ice, hoping they can catch somebody in a rush where they can get out an outnumbered situation. They might have good fast skaters, but their feet and their hands go so much faster than their brains, they have no idea what they are doing out there. God bless Detroit, one of the worst teams in the league. They look like they are Stanley Cup champions against these Oilers. McDavid's the only guy that's working out there and doing something smart with the puck. If I'm Hitchcock, I'm in the dressing room screaming my head off. This team may have from 18 guys the lowest combined hockey IQ I have ever seen in a long time. But the way they are playing this game is awful to watch. That yeah. is Jeremy Roenick talking about the Edmonton Oilers, led by Ken Hitchcock. Yep. So I don't think it's all Shirelli's fault. At the same time, I don't think he's going to be a GM in this league for a while. Maybe he will be someday, but it's going to take a while. I don't think it's all his fault because I think the Oilers front office was in the loop for a lot of these decisions. Yep. Like, why did it take the Koskinen signing to seal his fate so quickly? Why weren't front office involved in these kind of decisions? If the yep. reports were true that it was only Shirelli and Miko's agent involved in the contract talks and the organization approved it after the fact, why in the world was Peter Shirelli fired? Yeah. And, and then you pointed me to Steve Dangle's commentary and he points to an article from a few years ago regarding the Yakupov draft. Mm. And apparently all the Barras were supposed to gather together one day and determine who they would like to take first overall. No one had a clear decision by the end of the day. You have a GM in place. He's the guy that's in charge of drafting players and making trades. He's got his own people to help him. Yeah. Trust him. Trust what he's doing. Whoever is the next GM, give them your trust. Yep. And that, I think, is their biggest need. They need trust and they need sanity right from the very top. Yeah. And I don't think they have it. Yeah, that kind of... The that, fans are clearly showing it. They have no faith in this team. Yeah. They have no faith in ownership. Speaking of that uh, Neil Yakupov thing, I, I remember uh, hearing that what happened was, furthermore, from that Steve Dingle video that I watched um, and I sent to you, um, by the way, we love Steve Dingle here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Invite anyway, us on your show, Steve, please. Yeah. We'd be honored. We, we may be uh, fans of your the least biggest rivals, but we would love to be uh, a part with you. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyways. Uh, the, uh, like the, in the 2012 draft, 
um, the owner, uh, like the, I think there was like a, I forget, I think it was Ryan Whitney, um, said that there was like the owner, the Edmonton Oilers owner son. So Daryl Cates, son, um, mm -hmm. played video games with Neil Yakupov and, mm -hmm. uh, his son was like, I love, like, I love Neil Yakupov and all that stuff. And then the owner was like, all right, we need to draft this guy, um, which is really funny when you think about it, is that you're drafting this guy first overall just because he got along with the owner's son. Um, if that's if that's true, I'm not sure if that's the only reason. Um, I think he was decent in Sarnia when he was around, but anyways, that's besides the point. I, I thought that was a, good, a funny tidbit. Um, but yeah, no, I think... That does bring us to our next question, which is, what is the Oilers' biggest need at the moment? Um, I, I was thinking of this question on in terms of, like, on the ice. Um, but you're right. In terms of off the ice, like, it's just consistency and trust with upper management. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take someone like, uh, like a Don Sweeney type to fix Torelli's mess. Um, and that's really why I give him a C minus is because it's one thing to ruin one franchise in the Bruins things. Cause like the Bruins were in cap hell all because of Chirelli and Don Sweeney had to like make all these different, uh, trades just to be under the cap. And that's what the next GM is going to be doing. And he also made all these like questionable trades and so it's one thing to screw up one franchise, but then like I'm, I'm a big proponent of second chances and learning from your mistakes. Um, but when you go to another franchise and you make the same mistakes again, it's like you're not, you didn't even learn. You're just incompetent. So that's why I'm giving him a C minus because he did the same thing that he did to Edmonton that he's going to do to Boston uh, that he did to Boston. And so I don't, th in, in fact, he made them in a worse position. Um, it may With have been all worse. With due respect so, to Peter Shirelli as a human being, I trust Pierre Dorian and his abilities more than I do Peter Shirelli's right now. Yeah. And, that's, and I'm not that's the what... biggest Pierre Dorian fan either. Right. So, so that's why I, I'm giving him a C minus. And yes, I agree that it's not all his fault. I did just say that, but it's it's still just because like he's just not a good GM. Um, I'm sure down the line, just because this is like the NHL is an old boys club, and I don't know if you heard, but Brian Burke was defending all of his questionable moves, which was kind of funny because um, he was the only one who kind of got fleeced by Chirelli. Um, in the Kessel trade uh, back yeah. in the day. But anyways, it's just uh, like, so in terms of on the ice, the, the Oilers' biggest need is, you know, just uh, they need more players. They need like, a, they still need a defenseman. Uh, they need a, like a consistent goalie. Koskinen's I'm I'm fine with the contract itself. It was a little weird that they and signed we'll get, it right we'll there. We'll get to that contract broader in a second. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I I I was fine with it being like he had he has struggled as of late. Um, 
I I would like to see more consistency in the goaltending stuff. Uh, defense is, has always been an issue, so maybe you get like a, a shutdown defenseman. You need more wingers. It's fine if you want to split McDavid and Dreisaitl, um up, um, so you have two lines like that, um, and Drysaddle is more of a natural center anyways, but you don't have a ton of wingers. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a pretty good uh, deal in terms of like he's a he's a legit winger. Um, and, um, but like everyone else has kind of like needs to pick it up. Um, so I don't know really what you do. I do not envy being the next GM here. Um, so yeah, so the biggest need at the moment is like off the ice, you need a more consistent, uh, management or just trust in, in your, in your GM and trust in your coach um but on the ice you just need like you know just like a better team you need people to pick up their weight um i'm not sure if guys like i'm looking at their cap friendly page i'm not sure if guys like zach cassian kyle brodziak um even like colby cave um are up for it but um like Guys like Milan Lucic, we know what he's capable of. He needs to be better. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, he has a lot riding on him. He needs to be better. Um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is decent. Alex Chieson is has been good. Uh, he needs to be mm-hmm. up there. Ty Ratty, um, he was waived. Maybe this can be a like a um, a spark plug for him. Uh, same with Ryan Spooner. Maybe it'll be a spark plug for him. Um, you know, the defense, uh, you know, Darnell Nurse, I know that they're getting Oscar Clefbaum back, so maybe they can be something, mm-hmm. but... And Adam Larson has admitted himself, he's not playing good hockey right now. Yeah. So um, maybe if he starts playing better hockey, their defense doesn't look as bad. True. Uh, Cam Talbot has not been good, um, and, you know, to the point where Koskinen is more of the starter, um, but they one of them needs to be consistent um and we know Talbot has been consistent in the past um you just need to see how he does in the future so that's kind of like there's a lot of big needs for them but what I will say about the Edmonton Oilers though no matter how bad things get this year for Mm. goodness sake Stay the course with your young players I'm Mm. looking at some of their AHL players right now Tyler Benson 34 points in 42 games, 10 points in his last five. Ethan Bear is 19 points on the air, one of Bakersfield's top blue liners, six points over his last three. Mm-hmm. Joe Gambardella has 19 goals and 32 points in 35 games, 32 points in 32 games for Cooper Marodi as well. Josh Curry's got 19 goals. Uh, Evan Bouchard has been great in the OHL. He has uh, 26 points in his first 21 OHL games with London this year. For goodness sake, unless you're the Anaheim Ducks and you're injured like hell and you absolutely need these guys, keep them in the AHL where they can learn. Because if you rush them, like you've rushed some of your other prospects, this will keep happening and you will ruin all of your good talent. Yep. Agreed. Um, Who should be the next GM? Ideally, you know, you get 
got like you make uh, Yeiserman the GM, and then you get Quenville as your coach. But I don't. If I were Yeiserman or Quenville, I don't want to touch any anything near Edmonton at the moment. Yeah. So I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but um, I think um, you know maybe there's like I know Ron Hextall was recently fired. That's the only name that makes sense uh, to me at the moment. Um, maybe you get like Dean Lombardi, although you get, maybe you have the same kind of issues that Peter Torelli had. Um, cause you know, it seems like Torelli and Lombardi were more focused on grit and getting those like toughness guys instead of skill guys, which is what you need in this NHL. Um, yeah, uh, those are my two that I think, uh, could work. Um, Hextall wasn't a terrible GM when he was on the Flyers, so maybe um, I think that's probably your best option. I know there was talk of Ken Holland going to Edmonton. Um, that would be kind of interesting, although he uh, kind of put the Red Wings into cap hell, so I don't know if he uh, he's yeah. necessarily would be great um, in terms of getting them out of cap hell because he hasn't done that for Detroit. So... Um, so that, that will be, um, yeah, those, those are, seem to be the options. I'm sure I'm missing some. Uh, so some of the options on my list and I kind of cheated a bit. I consulted, um, an article done by Sportsnet and some of the candidates they thought would be a good fit. And there were some of the names on their list that I agree with. Probably the most notable is Mark Hunter. Okay. who was an assistant GM for the Leafs, um, now GM of the London Knights, the OHL, has been for years. 100% agree with that suggestion. If you look at what the London Knights have been able to do over the last decade plus in the OHL, it's remarkable. I mean, the, the Hamilton Bulldogs, last year they won the OHL title, went to the Memorial Cup semifinals, and this year at the deadline, they were selling off most of their assets. In the OHL, going from a contender to a retooling team can happen so fast. And the Knights have been one of the few teams, in fact, I think they're probably the only team where in each and every single one of the last 10 or 15 years, it looks like they're contending for a top five spot in the Western Conference. And they do that because they find ways to draft good talent beyond the first round, which is something the Oilers have failed to do before and during the Peter Shrelly era. And like I said before, Mark Hunter, part of the Leafs front office, um, for a couple of years. That team is, of course, on the rise. Um, I think he's going to be a future GM in this league. I think Mark Hunter is a strong candidate for the Oilers. Uh, another name that Sportsnet suggested was Kelly McCrimmon, who has been with the Vegas front office since last year's inaugural season, and we all know how well Vegas has been doing. Uh, before that, he was GM and head coach of the WHL's Edmonton Oil Kings, and he was able to teach some good hockey minds, the most notable Mark Stone of the Ottawa Senators. Um, so he's another name I can consider. Uh, Mike Futa has been with the Kings front office for a bit. He was considered uh, for the Hurricanes GM vacancy before he withdrew his name from that race. Uh, he also has extensive experience in the OHL. Uh, that article also mentioned Hextall, also mentioned Dean Lombardi, also mentioned Mike Gillis. Maybe those three guys could bring short-term success, long-term success, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Uh, I think Mark Hunter could, and McCrimmon could do a better job than those three. Um, regarding Steve Eiserman, 
this was a guy that a knows how to draft well b knows how to keep a team together while handling the cap and c has built a contending team for years and years to come and he is leaving i would assume he's probably going to leave this offseason a very good tampa bay lightning team that's primed to win the cup at any moment yep he would not do that to go and sign with the edmonton oilers i think the only reason he would do that is if he goes back to detroit yep. so steve eisman's not even in the conversation and also according to bob mckenzie he said that he would be surprised if yeiserman doesn't sign with the uh, red wings or doesn't yeah. become the gm for the red wings uh, in the offseason um yeah, so i thought about that for months too yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the worst kept secret in the NHL right yeah. now. Um, but the other guy that I you didn't mention, but could be interesting if it happens, is um, Scott Housen. Um, he he's currently the uh, senior VP of the hockey operations for the Oilers. Um, he was a GM for a time with uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, so he has experience there um so i i know that he gets um i don't think he'll be necessary and he's also i think he also was the gm for the edmonton oilers ahl team at a time so um maybe he'll maybe he'll come up um and be good i i know it's like if they wanted to do something in-house, he is someone who hasn't been the Edmonton Oilers GM yet, mm-hmm. but he has been in their organization for quite a while right now. So, um, I was actually reading some of the tweets uh, following the firing of Peter Shirelli, and uh, a lot of uh, the tweets that I was reading, um, it didn't sound like it was ringing confidence with Scott Housen either. So yeah. um, I don't think Oilers fans would react too kindly to that if he was named GM, but we'll see. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I, 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 think, I think if I'm the Oilers, I probably want to get someone outhouse. Um, yeah. But if they were to do something in-house, um, then I guess Scott Housen would be the guy. But yeah, I you're think right. if it, was, it has to be him, but yeah. I don't think that's the thing. For sure. Um, so we kind of touched upon this before, but we'll I guess we'll mention it now. Koskinen signed, Miko Koskinen signed for three years, four point five million. Um, again, I'm I'm okay with it. He is a bit old. Um, I just don't think he he has. He went through some stretches where he was pretty de- he was decent. Um, and now he's kind of struggled a bit now. So I don't know if it's, um, it's just more weird that they signed it in the middle of the season, uh, mm-hmm. versus like doing this towards the end. Cause he, you know, he could very well not be consistent. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's a great sign just because of the consistency worries, but, um, I don't know. It could, it could work out for him if he is consistent. Yeah, so um, we'll get a bit more in-depth here because this could impact uh, what Cam Talbot's future is like, sure. or whether it's Edmonton or elsewhere. But let's take a look at his contract extension details. So it's a three-year extension, 13.5 uh, overall. So that's an average annual value of $4.5 million. On top of that, for 
each and every single one of these three years, he has a 15-team no-trade list. So basically half of the league he can't be traded to. Uh, year one, 5.2 million. Year two, 3.8 million, which includes 500K bonus money. And year three, it's uh, the average annual value of 4.5. So last December, I wrote that Miko Koskinen was a difference maker for the Oilers. In his first 16 games, he went 11-3-1, 2.12 goals against average, 9.30 save percentage with three shutouts. And winner of six of his last seven. So that was December when I wrote that. And on home ice especially, he was dominant. He had a GAA below one, perfect 7-0-0. and um, Less than stellar on the road, but still 4-4-1. Four, four um, he also has great work ethic. He served as a solid mentor for Jesse Pugliarvi. So off the ice, he was just as valuable as he was on it. That was December. Since then, he's made 12 appearances, 10 starts, given up two goals or less in just three of those 12 appearances, 10 starts, given up four more goals on four occasions. He's been, got, he's been uh, pulled twice. He's posted a state percentage 900 or better in three of those 12 appearances, 10 starts. Three 8-0 record since December 16th, which brings his season stats to 14-11-1, 2.79 goals against average, 9-10 save percentage. Better than Talbot, yes, but on the decline. So to put everything into perspective, they gave Miko a no-move clause to play this year with a $2.5 million salary. So it's not like this guy's making less than a million a year and his salary's just gone through the roof. It's not like that at all. What I cannot deal with is the average annual value and the 15-team no trade. You look at what Carolina did with Tara Bynan last last week. They gave him an average annual value over $5 million. He's a top six four getting power play time. 43 points in 50 games this year, had 60-plus the year before. He had a good playoff run with Chicago. He's done a bit of work to get this type of contract. What has Miko Koskinen done to earn him $4.5 million per year and a no-trade that basically takes out half the league if you wanted to trade him? Prior to this year, this guy played in four NHL games ages ago with the Islanders. I'll give him credit that he's done well in Europe. And he played a key role with uh, St. Petersburg in the KHL. Has he done nearly enough to warrant this kind of contract in the, in the NHL? Not even close. Hasn't played a full year. And they somehow give him this contract for the next three years anyway. I wouldn't even be comfortable with this contract if it was signed at the end of the year and he, and he did okay. I would still be nervous. It, and it's just the same thing over and over again with Edmonton. They're just spending cash throwing something at the wall and hope it turns into something they're just giving cash away left and right like if they signed alex chase on to this type of contract alex chase on is worth good money he's a good addition because he doesn't cost much yeah if you put 4.5 million to his contract for three years and you look at his stats he's underperforming true so the fact that they give this deal to Miko Koskinen makes zero sense. I'm happy for Koskinen. I'm happy that his agent was able to get this for him. In fact, I wish he was my agent because like yeah. any, any kind of athlete would take this kind of money in this circumstance. But if I'm the Edmonton Oilers fans, I'm screaming. I'm, I'm, I'm livid. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I, I might disagree with you. I mean, I know uh, Miko Koskinen is 30 years old. He hasn't, he has had his drawbacks. Um, I don't know. I, I think there is, like, obviously there is a ton of risk. He hasn't shown consistency, as I mentioned before. But I don't know. I think, like, he if he does live up to this contract, then I think it's worth it, obviously. Um, so, um, I mean, 4.5 is still a lot for him, but I don't know. I think That's it, more it's more than Cody Cece, and I don't think Cody Cece is worth what he's getting. Yeah, I guess, but I, I don't know. I don't think it's, like, terrible. Um, I think it was, it's more, yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's bad. Never mind. I should just stop it's talking. It's not the worst contract <laughs> that Shirley's handed out. I'll put it that way, but yeah, it's yeah. still bad. Um, and then also what happened was, uh, we kind of, this happened when we were recording last week's episode, but, uh, Ryan Spooner and Ty Ratty were both put on waivers, but then uh, they weren't claimed, um, and then uh, all of a sudden they were put back on the pro roster for some reason, um, which was a little confusing. Um, I did mention it before, so maybe it's like maybe it's supposed to be like a wake up call, but more likely it was just like Charlie was trying to see who, what teams were interested in these two players, probably. Um, Ryan Spooner was the guy who. Um, who they got from Ryan Strom, and then they got Ryan Strom from Jordan Everly. So if someone were to claim Ryan Spooner, that meant that they, the Oilers gave up Jordan Everly for nothing, uh, literally. Which, again, goes back to poor asset yep. management. And then for, as for Ty Ratty, he was like one of the best players in the preseason um, when he was on the line with Connor McDavid. Um, and then uh, it seems like he doesn't get along with Ken Hitchcock. Ken Hitchcock was the coach of the Blues uh, when Ty Ratty was there as well, and I think they didn't get along either. Um, I remember, I think I was hearing something that like Ratty like thought that he was going to be waived anytime soon because he knew that Hitchcock doesn't get along with him. So, so that's something to look out for. Um, in the time being, maybe he'll be traded um, at some point. But um, yeah, it's it's weird because I feel like both Ryan Spooner and Ratty, you can kind of equate to like, like Ryan Spooner, when he was on the Bruins, it was more like he was good, but like you're not going to put it, he's not like a top six guy. Um, and you're not going to like, he, just because he's not great on defense, but he is like, he was pretty good on our power play. Um, and that's how he was able to like inflate his numbers a bit. Um, but he's more of a one-dimensional player because he he's not really like a good defensive player. Um, kind of like a younger Thomas Vanek. Yeah, basically. Although he like Vanek's a little bit faster, but yes, <laughs> kind of like that. Um, uh, and same with like Ratty. It's more like. You know, he hasn't really gotten his chance yet. It, it seems like they put him on the top line uh, for a couple of shifts and then they put him on like a short lift and then all of a sudden he's on the bottom line in the same game. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, there are interesting situations for both of them. I don't, I'm, I guess I'm not necessarily surprised that neither one of them were claimed. Um, it just shows more <laughs> towards their incompetence that they, 
a bad asset asset management mm-hmm. per se. Yeah. Um, so let's go to uh, so more on the Oilers. I'm sure will t- there'll be a topic of conversation in the coming weeks. Um, well, uh, before before um, we go any further, we were going to mention what this means for Cam Talbot, right? Oh, right. Um, yeah, I think uh, probably Talbot's. I I would guess he's going to be traded. Um, if they are, um, if they are going to stick with Koskinen, um, it seems like they're kind of locked in with Koskinen now. Um, but yeah, I would guess they're going to try to trade him would be my guess. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I don't think they have much of a choice because I mean, you look at what they're giving Talbot, they're giving Talbot, um, 4.2 million this year. I doubt he takes a pay cut when someone's probably taking his job. Um, he's also got a list of 10 teams where he'd be willing to accept a trade to. So again, they've kind of put themselves in a bit of a pickle, like you're restricted to 10 teams. On top of that, he's 9-13-2 with a 3.27 goals against average and an 8.94 save percentage, giving up at least four goals against in nine of his 27 appearances. So in the past, he's been solid. He had a 40-win season. Last year, he still got 31 wins and a 908 save percentage when the Oilers regressed. So he could still be worth something. And at the end of the day, when you're looking at the goalie market, good goalies aren't hard, aren't hard to come by. Yep. If you put him in front of a good defense like you did with the Rangers when King Henrik was hurt a couple of years ago, Cam Talbot can probably put up some good numbers for you. The problem is it's Edmonton. Their defense hasn't been good. They haven't really improved upon it. And I think it's one of those things where a fresh start could benefit him. The problem is you add that 10 team list of tradable places and you look at his stats, you're kind of boxing yourself and restricting your return value. But for, for a guy that's got a year left on his deal, given that the goalie market is thin, Edmonton maybe could surprise themselves and get a decent return for him. But I'm not, if I'm not the other team, I'm not starting off with, yeah, we'll give you a first round pick for Cam Talbot. Right. Because I don't think the Oilers, they're going to get a first round pick for Cam Talbot. But I don't think uh, they're going to get much of anything if Cam Talbot stays beyond this year. I think he probably walks. Um, And what they can't do is bring in a young goalie like Stuart Skinner or Shane Starrett who are both uh, playing in the AHL this year um, I think if anything if they trade Talbot they bring up Montoya who's still in their farm system uh, if they don't think he's good enough for the job then reevaluate the position maybe sign a cheap veteran piece um, to buy the young guys some more time and do whatever you will with Montoya but I don't think bringing up a young goalie is what the Oilers should do if Talbot gets traded, and he will get traded. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we have to get going here. <laughs> yeah, um, now we're sorry. done talking about the Oilers for now. Top three, bottom three. Uh, I'll do the top three first. Um, okay. you, <laughs> Tampa, I'm going to have Tampa as my first team. They've only lost 10 games. 
Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always at a loss of words whenever I talk about them. I'm sure they lost to Toronto and New York, the Islanders, um, in the past couple of weeks, but they still, um, you know, they're still one of the best teams. They beat San Jose 6-3. Uh, Stamkos is finally getting going. He had a beautiful goal in the All-Star game where he went behind the leg. So, um, so there's that. Uh, my second team, or, you know, the, the, the top second team for me is uh, Calgary. Uh, they are actually doing pretty well. I know they, like, beat last, I mean, they beat Detroit, Edmonton, and Carolina. So they're on a three-game win streak. And, of course, Detroit and Edmonton aren't necessarily great right now. Uh, but, um, you know, they still are moving along. Um, I'm still kind of concerned about Riddick um, and Smith long-term in the playoffs, but uh, the way that they're working, you know, Goudreau um, and Monaghan and uh, Lindholm all on the top line are, are phenomenal. And then you finally get, like, guys like Sam Bennett, who was supposedly, like, a bust until this year, and now all of a sudden he's, like... He's racking up the points, too. Um, you know, you got Michael Froelich. You have Michael J- Mark Jankowski, um, who is another one who, is, who might have been a bust um, as well. But, um, you know, you have those guys working. So you have the depth guys, which I, I, I think is uh, could go a long way if they keep it up. Um, and then my third team um, is the New York Islanders. Um, Robin Leonard and uh, Thomas Grice both had um, a shutout in back-to-back games. Uh, one was against Washington. Uh, Grice had that. And the other one was Anaheim, uh, which was Leonard. Um, they sure they did lose to Chicago in a shootout uh, just now, but they were on like a five-game winning streak. Um, so they've been really hot, and they're also like, uh, on the top of, you know, they're first in their, in their division, the Metropolitan Division, so that's not a hard feat, especially when they lost their best player um, last year in, in, in the offseason in Tavares. It's like, who's Tavares, right? Um, they're three points ahead of the uh, Capitals at the moment, so yeah, I think the Islanders have earned a spot of recognition, at least for now. Yeah, well, uh, they've earned uh, top spot on my list. Um, like you said, seven of their last ten they've won. Uh, their goaltending continues to hold up. They're playing better defensive hockey as a whole. Um, and like you said, first in the Metro, heading into the All-Star break in a year where nobody expected them to do much of anything. So uh, they're my top team. Uh, Flames are at number two, eight, one, and one in their last ten. They entered into the All-Star break first in the Pacific Division. Uh, when probably very few people expected them to. Um, Johnny Hockey continues to be a driving force. Their offense is on another level now. Big Save Dave continues to live up to his name. And 33 wins so far this year. Uh, Lots to feel good about in Calgary. Um, And, of course, it wouldn't be a top three if Tampa wasn't on it. I mean, 37-10-2, 76 points, winners of seven of their last ten, which is a bit more inhuman, but... Uh, Tampa is still a very talented team, so they're uh, my third favorite team. I also give two shout-outs to a pair of Canadian teams. Uh, first one, the Jets. Uh, they they continue to look like a team that will contend for the Stanley Cup. 
So they're one. Uh, second is Montreal, who don't look now. Montreal's one point back of the lease in the Atlantic Division sure. standings. We all know Winnipeg was expected to do a lot this year. I don't think too many sports pundits thought Montreal no. would be in this position heading into the break. Um, they're succeeding without Pacioretty. Carey Price is looking like his old self. Um, lots to feel good about if you're a Habs fan. Yep, for sure. Although they didn't get anyone in their All-Star game. Um, right. Do you have a bottom three? Yeah. Um, I think this one's a relatively easy one. Uh, third worst team is Edmonton, yep. simply because of how they're losing the hockey games. I mean, yeah, three straight losses. Whole segment on them, it yeah. doesn't <laughs> seem like a big deal, but they've fallen behind early in each of those losses. Goaltending hasn't been there from start to finish. And when they find a way to score, it's not enough, and lots of damage has already been done. So Oilers are my third worst team. Uh, for my second worst team, I'm going with San Jose. They gave up six goals in four straight games, which takes talent. Uh, two of those came at the expense of Washington and Tampa, so I'll give them some slack there. But the other two are Arizona and Florida. Um, if their defense doesn't improve, granted they didn't have Lassick and Carlson for most of this run, but if this continues into March, they're not a contender if they look like this. Um, the good news for San Jose is they're not the worst. That would be Washington, who has lost seven straight. And you know it's bad when Ovi scores a hat trick and they lose. I mean, yep. and, and speaking of hat tricks, by the way, the Capitals during this slide have given up four hat tricks and three of those in three straight games. Um, Arvidsson was the first one against Nashville. You also had Jonathan Taves in the Chicago Blackhawks game. You also had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Hurdle when uh, the Caps were up by a goal with a second left and they blew it. And then you had Nazem Kadri the night after. So three straight contest, uh, street, uh, bleh, three straight contests to give up a hat trick. Um, you, you talk about a team with aspirations of winning a second straight Stanley Cup if if they can't. Um, address their issues and teams keep exposing them, um, they're not going to go any farther uh, than they did last year. Yeah. Um, I will give a shout out to Colorado who continues to lose ground in the West. They're not doing too hot, but not bad enough to end up on this list. Unfortunately. Okay. So I actually had Washington, the third worst team. Um, they, like, sure, that I was going to mention that they lost seven straight. Um, and of course they still don't, I don't know if Hopi's officially, um, ready. I know he's played in a couple of those games, but, um, so I only, I, I only made him third worst just because I felt like they're still, they're still in second place in their division somehow. Um, and you know, I'm not too worried about the Capitals for, for whatever reason. And Ovechkin's like still the goal leader um, by seven goals. Um, so there is still stuff that's there for them, um, despite this losing streak. Um, I imagine maybe it has something to do with um, this, like, maybe it's just like the Stanley Cup drought slump has finally come up to them, or this hangover that they had has finally come, um, and now they're just getting tired and whatnot. So, I, I don't have I only put them here because I'm not too worried about them but um, but yeah seven losing seven straight in a row is not great so I put them in the bottom three um, 
I was thinking of putting San Jose or Anaheim in here, but uh, you kind of already talked about San Jose. I was going to put in Arizona, uh, mostly because of what we we're going to talk about later on. They don't have Schmaltz for the rest of the year. They don't have. Uh, they might not have OEL for a couple of a uh, couple of games. Um, I think they uh, they all they don't have Ranta. Um, so a lot of their key guys uh, that they relied upon are not going to be doing well. Um, of course, they're still like playing pretty well, but I have a feeling things are going to um, fall apart pretty soon, especially if they don't have OEL for a long term, which it looks like that's going to happen. Um, maybe they're not dead yet. But I feel like they're about to be if they uh, they lose um, a lot to injury. Um, I'm not having said that. I'm not surprised you didn't have them in the bottom three because they've been they've been decent lately. Um, and then my third my third worst team is the Oilers because um, of everything we just talked about in our in our last hour. Uh, the uh, they're, you know, they lost <laughs> to the Detroit Red Wings, who were historically bad. Jeremy Roenick had a full-on rant about them, and mostly everyone agreed with him. Um, and uh, their future is in, um, basically, in a fire. You know, it's just, uh, who knows what's going to happen. So, um, I feel like that's more scary than... Their fan base is more scared than any other fan base is mm-hmm. um, into yeah, this break. Yeah, it was so. the Sens at the beginning of the season. The Sens actually looked good compared to the yeah. Oilers. Um, Anaheim was also, I was also going to mention them. They have won a couple, but they're still not great. And then um, you already mentioned San Jose. They kind of were, um, they were also going through a, a moment as well. Um, but then they beat the, the Capitals. Um, in their last game, seven to six, um, but they uh, they were they weren't doing so well um, mm-hmm. last week. Um, let's go to the rapid fire. We do have these mid season awards. Um, we have about uh, seven of them. Hopefully, we can make these quick. We'll see. Uh, let's go with the Hart Trophy. You can just go back and forth with this. Um, I'm going to go with uh, McDavid. If the Oilers make the playoffs, that's the only qualifications. If the Oilers yeah. miss, which is pretty likely, um, I'm going to go with Johnny Goudreau. Um, he's been phenomenal for the Flames. He's kind of like runs the offense for them. Um, you know, he's he's on pace for I think like 100 points and so, or so. Um, so I think he'll be um, the, the guy to to be the MVP of the team. If we're going off of the basis of he makes the team better. Um, I mean, sure. You could point out Sean Monaghan and Elias Lindholm, but it does, or even Mark Giordano, but uh, it does seem like uh, Johnny Goudreau is the main reason why the flames are doing so well. Yeah. So the professional hockey Writers association, um, actually went with Kutrov over Johnny Hockey and Connor McDavid. Mm. Um, I I think Kutrov is due to win the award simply because of how he helped Tampa when they were injured like hell a couple yeah. of years ago. 
Um, and like you said, the Oilers make the playoffs. It's tough to not give it to McDavid because he's the only thing that's basically keeping them in contention. But I think Johnny Hockey is going to win it too. I mean, yep. they, they had spotty goaltending, much like the early 2000s when uh, Dan Clucci and the Canucks were contenders. Not too many people took them seriously beyond um, their offense, defense, and goaltending was a question mark. But yep. uh, they had dynamic offensive capabilities. And regardless of what you think about their defense and their goaltending, the Flames are a top five hockey team. They have, I think, four of the top 20 NHL scores right now. If you include Giordano in the top 30, they have five at yep. least. Um, you have Elias Lindholm and Matt Kachuk having big years. Monahan's been his deadly self as usual, but the guy driving the boat is Johnny Gaudreau, and um, he's playing his best hockey right now. Yeah, the thing with Kucherov is, is like, you know, he's on the lightning, and you have, like, Braden yeah. Point. You have Steven Stamkos who's picking things up. Victor Hedman's picking things up. Um, you also have uh, Vasilevsky. When he's healthy, he's been pretty good, too. So it's... It's tough, like, it's just more like the, the Lightning are a better team than the Flames are right now. Um, and I think that's that has partially to do with it. It's just, like, the supporting cast. Um, not to take anything away from the supporting cast that uh, Goudreau has, but I feel like the supporting cast for the Lightning are better than the supporting cast for the Flames at the moment. Yeah, I think both of us can agree there. Yep. Um, let's see here. Heart trophy. Uh, oh, we already did heart trophy. Rocket Richard. Uh, I, <laughs> it's, it's weird. So like this is, you know, it's kind of funny. Cause like if a, if a player, uh, had like, th has 30 goals by the end of the season, that's kind of considered a pretty good year. And now we have four players who have 30 goals or more. Um, Ovechkin, um, has 37, and then you have Point, Tavares, and Skinner having 30. Um, I feel like Skinner may drop off a bit um, and uh, in terms of the goals. Um, I know his shooting percentage is pretty high. Um, and same with Breeden Point, so they may drop off. Um, but I feel like this is Ovechkin. Like, oh, there's nothing to say that Ovechkin can't keep this up, and I, I kind of want to see him like make it to like 60 goals because uh, that's kind of the pace that he's he's been gearing towards. Um, so he might be able to make it to 60 goals. So Ovechkin's going to be my Rocket Richard prediction. I know, boring. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Skinner, Tavares, and Point have 30 goals exactly. Ovi is the only guy that has more than 30. He's got 37, so three goals shy of mm -hmm. another 40-goal campaign. Um, Ovechkin has almost 200 shots on the year. The Capitals' main goal scorer by a mile. So I think, like you said, 60 goals is possible. 50 is definitely possible. Uh, the problem with Point and Tavares is they are all scoring and generating a lot of shots on net, but they're on very good teams that tend to spread the goal scoring every now and again. And yep. in Toronto, we saw Matthews and Nylander going through scoring slumps. Kadri also went through one. And then in the game against Washington, Kadri had a hat trick. Nylander got three assists. So partially the reason why Tavares has 30 goals already is because you have guys like Matthews and Nylander and Kadri not scoring. Right. So at the end, Gord on Tampa Bay, the scoring is going to shift. 
all the goals will pile up for the others while that person's individual stat line takes a hit. And I think that's going to happen with Tavares. I think it's going to happen with Braden Point as well. I don't think Skinner can keep pace with Ovechkin. Therefore, Ovechkin wins. Okay. Art Ross. So I realize... We're both in agreement again. Yep, of course. Art Ross, um, you... I, I realize I should have let you go first for the Rocket Richard. So I'm going to let you take no, on... Okay. Go first for these two next two. Uh, Art, so who's your Art Ross pick? All right, top three scores at the moment are Kucherov, Rantanen, and then McDavid and Johnny Hockey are tied for third. Uh, McKinnon and Patrick Kane also have over 70 points this year. Um, you can never count out Braden Point or Mitch Marner or Blake Wheeler, um, but I think Kucherov and Goudreau are going to find themselves in a tie for first in NHL scoring at season's end. I think Kucherov will have scored more goals, even though he actually has fewer goals than uh, Johnny Goudreau. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I think Kucherov has more goals than Goudreau. They both have the same amount of points. Kucherov wins the tiebreaker because he scored more. Okay, interesting. Um, I So this is going to be the first one that we're going to disagree on. I'm <laughs> going with uh, Connor McDavid. Um, I know that the Oilers are struggling, and I did, I did put them in my bottom three uh, this week because uh, I'm not sure about their future. But, um, and I did talk on an hour about the the Edmonton Oilers' struggles this year, but Connor McDavid is the best player in the league. Uh, there's nothing to say that even if his team is struggling, that doesn't mean that he's going to um, also struggle as well. So um, he's the only player that can keep them afloat. Um, and I feel like uh, he can single-handedly... Um, uh, you know, win the Art Ross trophy. Again, I having said all that, I wouldn't be surprised if Gucherov or Goudreau or even Rantanen um, win the Art Ross. But um, it, I feel like it's McDavid's won the last two Art Rosses. It's it's really, um, it's just really, you can't, you can't, it's hard to bet against him at this yeah. point. Uh, Vezina, you also go first here. Who's your Vezina pick? Well, I think uh, this might be a very close race if the second half shapes up like the first half was. Um, the P uh, the PHWA's uh, top three was John Gibson, Mark Andre Fleury, and Steady Freddie Anderson. Um, I think they got the right order there. Um, I wouldn't rule out John Gibson if he gets um nominated for the Vesna. I mean, you look at Jacob DeGrom with the New York Mets, he had 10 wins, but yep. his ERA was freakishly low and he won the award and his team wasn't even in the playoff picture. So I think if the Ducks are even in playoff contention, I think John Gibson's the favorite to win. Even if they miss the playoffs by three points, he still has a legit shot. Um, but if Flower continues his ridiculous workload and Vegas makes the playoffs, I think he's going to win. Um, I wouldn't rule out Freddie Anderson either because he's had moments where he's been good this year. Um, and if he goes on a late season surge, I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he gets nominated. But yeah. um, I think I, it's it's a two-horse race between Gibson and Fleury at this point. Um, but I, I, I think... I. <laughs> I, I'm going to lean towards the All-Star game as the tiebreaker because Gibson had an awful period. Flurry came in cold and was great. 
So I'm going to go with Flurry for that reason alone. All right, interesting. I didn't even have Flurry or Gibson in my mind, actually, when I decided this. Um, okay. To me, um, it's uh, Robin Leonard. Um, he's, I would love to see Robin Leonard win yeah. the Vesna. I don't. Th- I'm not sure on the games played, though. I think. Yeah, I was about to mention that. It, it just it all depends on if he gets more starts. Um, but so far, like you know, he's. He's leading the league in save percentages. He's leading the league in GAA. He doesn't have the the games played just yet, but I uh, imagine he's going to be played more often. And if he can, can remain consistent, and he's for sure going to be the winner. I was also considering like if if Leonard doesn't have the games played, I was going to say uh, Andre Vasilevsky. Um, he's been phenomenal as well when he's been healthy. Um, but you know, when I think about it, like Flurry has also been great, um, and so has um, John Gibson. Especially when John Gibson, I think the thing that hurts John Gibson is the fact that he's on the Ducks, who aren't necessarily great a great team. Um, he is he is definitely a very good goaltender. Um, I just don't think he. Um, because the Ducks aren't a great team, um, even though he's like the only reason why the Ducks are even in contention right now, um, I still feel like it's it's. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to win the Vesna because of that. Having said that, he may win the Vesna if they may if the Ducks make the playoffs. Um, I feel like that's going to be the only way. Because uh, he kind of like wills th- his way into um, the playoffs, but I, well, I just I don't see. I just don't see. Fantastic yeah. season his first year with Columbus. They didn't make the playoffs. They barely missed out, and he won the Vezina anyway. True, so. I guess. I just don't see why. Like how. Like I feel like. I don't know. I feel like the the odds are against him. I'm not yeah. going to deny that the odds are against him 100. Um, percent Right. But it, it should also be noted that. Um, I, I remember reading from an hockey news article that I think one goalie in NHL history has won the Vesna while registering uh, less than 30 wins. Yep. So uh, I don't know if uh, Leonard has as good a chance of winning the Vesna if he doesn't get 30 wins. But um, <clears throat> I, I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not denying the fact that it won't be that it's a, it's a cakewalk. For, uh, I'm not denying the fact that it's not going to be easy for Gibson. Yep. Like he out of the three goalies I mentioned, he's got the toughest road to the best in the trophy. But yep. I'm not counting him out just yet. Okay, fine. Um, let's go to the Norris. I guess I'm going first here. Um, yep. Mark Giordano um, is my pick. Um, he's leading the league in plus minus as well, and he's also second in the league in uh, points for a defenseman. He has good advanced numbers as well, not just for plus minus. Um, you know, he's kind of been on a tear uh, lately. At, uh, so I think Mark Giordano is probably going to be my Norris Trophy guy. Um, Dark Horses is your favorite, Thomas Shabbat, um, because he's kind of been, um, he's kind of been a revelation. Um, I think especially since, like, we all expected the, the Senators to kind of lose, um, you know, to be one of the worst teams in the league. They still kind of are. 
but like Shabbat is a big reason why they're kind of in the in the bubble uh, there. Um, so um, so I, I, I feel like he's going to be a dark horse. Other dark horses that just deserve recognition, I'm not necessarily sure if they're going to be in the top three, um, but Matthias Eckholm um, has been very good. Um, Loki, he's beating uh, Yossi and Subban um, and Ellis, um, who are all considered like better defensemen on that team. Uh, but now he's like he's putting up all these offensive numbers um, for for Ekholm, and he's very like, he's underrated on the defensive side of things. So um, so I don't think he'll even be nominated, but I I thought that's worth a mention. Um, but probably it's it's between Burns and uh, Mark Giordano, uh, just because they're the only two that um, seem to be consistent uh, throughout the season. Uh, I think maybe you can make a case for Shabbat, but if Carlson continues to go at this rate, I put Carlson higher than Shabbat. Of course, so you I don't do. think even Shabbat gets nominated. Uh, um, okay. But uh, I, I think I think Burns and Giordano are going to be thick of it. Morgan Riley's another name another to one, keep yeah. an eye out on for the least. And John Carlson as well. Yeah, John Carlson as well. Um, yeah, that's 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 a pretty good class of defensemen. Yep. Um, I think the most polished is Mark Giordano. Um, I think he's probably been one of the most underrated defensemen in this league, and he hasn't really put up the offensive numbers to really give him a shot at uh, the Norris this year. He definitely has. He's got over 50 points right now. Um, so, yeah, I'd go with Giordano as well. Okay. Uh, Jack Adams. Um, I guess I'll go first here, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's. I think it's a two... A lot of this depends on how they finish the team's finish because uh, this is more of like a an improvement award um so i think it's a tie between barry trots and bill peters um both the flames and the islanders are the the biggest surprises this year um in terms of like no one really expected them to do to do anything uh this year um and especially uh, for like Trotz, because you know he was he Trotz and Lou Lamarillo come to the Islanders. They lose Tavares, so people didn't expect them to be that good. Their biggest issue was always like the goaltending and the defense, and their goaltending's like one of the best in the league. So, um, so Trotz deserves all the credit for that in terms of improving the teams. The Flames have uh, missed the playoffs for the last couple of years. And then they get a guy like Bill Peters who came to, you know, who was from Carolina and Carolina were kind of like an iffy team as well. But then, you know, he was able to turn Elias Lindholm into something. He was able to get a lot out of um, uh, Noah Hannafin. Uh, also, he was able to, uh, you know, Johnny Gaudreau is having a career year. Uh, Sean Monahan as well. Mark Giordano is one of the best defensemen in the league, um, and that's not a coincidence. So, um, and he's able to get some quality goaltending out of David Riddick. Um, Riddick wasn't necessarily didn't necessarily have a great season last year, um, so um, just the the ability to just rely on on David Riddick 
um, and he's capable, fully capable of his job, which is something that couldn't be said for Carolina um, when when Bill Peters was there. So I think it's it's a two head a two head race for Trotz or Bill Peters. I would, if gun to my head, I'm gonna go with Trotz. Um, yeah, gun to my head. But we'll see how the standings go. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. That's gonna be a tourist race between Trotz and Peters. Um, I don't think it's going to be as tougher of a decision because I think people still thought defensive goaltending issues aside that Calgary was going to be a fringe playoff team, maybe a wild card team um, with the roster that they had. But people thought like the Islanders was going to be a lottery team for sure. Yeah, Yeah, no one expected the Islanders to do much of any good, especially with Tavares gone. Um, this team is relatively unchanged. They bring in Robin Leonard. They thought, you know, this guy could be something. Um, yeah, that's fair. And they, they head in the All-Star break first in a very tough Metropolitan Division. Um, they change relatively uh, – they, they change a relatively unchanged roster into a divisional leader. And in less than six months, they've gotten the most out of Robin Leonard. They've gotten the most out of everybody – there seems to be a winning culture back in Long Island. I think it's one that could have long-term success as well. So I think Barry Trotz is going to win no matter, even if the Islanders miss the playoffs by a point, I think Barry Trotz wins Um, because of how committed, how bought in this Islanders team is and how well they performed in less than a year. Yep. Um, Okay. Uh, let's go to the injuries here. Uh, wasn't a ton this week, but the main one was uh, Nathan McKinnon. He had uh, apparently he has a where is it? Um, he yeah, has a bruise on had, his foot. Has, yeah, a, a bruise on the inside of his left foot is what yeah, uh, is what I heard. It says and, it's not broke. He says it's yeah. not broken. It's just really sl- uh, sore swollen so i'm not gonna force it this weekend he was expected to play um in the all-star game but he's uh he can't uh because it's um it's like a i guess it's a temporary thing so he's gonna miss the first game back um but i don't know how it could be more serious than that Mm -hmm. yeah so we don't really know the full scope of it and i see both of us uh take a look at roto world for information that's pretty much exactly what i have Uh, they need nathan mckinnon to be healthy considering how bad colorado's been doing lately they need mckinnon at full strength and um i think as tough as a decision as it was to keep himself out of the all-star game i think he made the right call there yeah i agree andre cache um is a He's going to miss five to six months, which would mean that he's out for the rest of the season. Uh, This is also a team that doesn't have Ryan Miller, Corey Perry, and Ryan Kessler um, as well. Um, So, yeah, the the Ducks' injury luck is not great, (laughs) Um, to say the least. Um, I don't know. It comes to the point where you have to wonder if, like, What's going on in the waters of Anaheim or like, like the injury team? Like it's like they it's need like, to sage the entire dressing. Do they like play on a 
burial ground or something like they're like seriously cursed or something but um so it's unfortunate news of course um we hope he gets better but uh it's a soldier injury um but yeah there's not much else to really say about that but we'll see yeah i mean you look at his stats like fourth on the roster in shots only played in 30 games second on the team in goals only played in 30 games uh, the good news is they got Silverberg back. He's off the IR, and he's got 12 goals on 90 shots, averaged 71 seconds more than Kasha per contest, um, and he's the goal-scoring leader. So probably he's going to have an increased workload. Uh, Daniel Sprung has 12 points in 22 games between Pittsburgh and Anaheim. He's probably going to get an extended look. Um, guys like Pontus Saber, guys like Adam Henrique are probably going to have to carry the load offensively as well in other areas and. Um, regardless of who's hurt, it's the John Gibson show all over again. I mean, he's he's basically the thing standing between Anaheim and uh, golfing in April or playing playoff hockey. So um, not much has changed with the Ducks. It's just another guy down. Yep. Um, and then lastly, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, or OEL, or Steve's, my favorite nickname that Steve has ever had, uh, the Swedish law firm. Yeah, um, so good. <laughs> he uh, he has a lower body injury. It looks like it's a knee injury. Um, and according to John Chaka, he's going to be reevaluated after the break. So um, you may know you, when the time this episode is up, you guys may know more about uh, Ekman Larson. But yeah, this is a team that's already lost. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, Michael Grabner. Um, Antti Ranta, Jason Demers, um, Brad Richardson. Uh, so those guys are all gone. Um, um, so that's like a, a majority of their team, especially a guy like Oliver ekman Larson, who means a lot to their team in, in general. Um, so, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. We don't have an update just yet, but uh, it could be more serious. I guess we'll update next week. Um, what what's the latest on that? Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. Also, the All Star Game happened this weekend, um, which was cool. The Metro won. Crosby was the MVP. Um. So that was kind of cool. Um. I only saw glimpses of it. Um. I saw. I did see Stamkos have like a behind the back. Um goal i also was showing steve that uh jim hewson uh although you you told me that he he told uh uh bill peters to um to make a line of mcdavid gaudreau and petterson um and i saw it happen live too yeah yeah and then all of a sudden the uh like two seconds later gaudreau scores from a mcdavid pass um so it was it was kind of a cool moment there where you're like, oh, he's like predicting plays and stuff, and he actually does it. Um, but having said that, they lost like ten to two. Kind of makes you wonder if like if only they had done that before, um, before that, uh, before yeah, things it was got ten to four, but yeah, it was it was ten to one at that point when yeah. before before uh, the the lineup change was made. There. Um, and, and McKinnon was uh, according to Maurice uh, driving. Uh, the central division bench he was helping out with the coaching yeah. duties which when you consider what happened a couple weeks ago is kind of funny that is true yeah because he was yelling at his coach there um 
Shout out to uh, Kendall. The, the biggest story, though, was that Kendall Coyne and Brianna Decker uh, were involved in the in the uh, skills competition. Um, mm-hmm. And not only that, but Kendall Coyne finished second behind McDavid. She, she was only a, uh, like a second behind uh, McDavid um, overall, which was kind of cool. Um, and then Brianna Decker also uh, came in second in the passing competition. Uh, Drysaddle won that. But like there was some controversy where it like, appeared that Decker may have actually won. But it turns out that that was actually not true. So um, either way, it's it's kind of cool to have have a showcase like that. Um, yeah, but they yeah. they came in like the the top three in in those events. Yeah, like that's still impressive. Like yeah. we're talking about the best of the best of the NHL, and they finish in the top three. Like, like. I, I'm absolutely gobsmacked by that. Like, I'm so impressed. And yep. um, it, it, it's really an historic moment for hockey when mm. when talented female athletes like that basically just show up a bunch of guys. It's just like, hey, we're, we're just as good as you guys. Yep. And, and, and they all, like, like you said, uh, Connor McDavid thought that Kendall Coyne won that event. Yep. And David's pretty fast too, so it's yeah. kind of a, it's like just he's amazing. won the fastest skier three straight years under thirteen point five seconds, all three. Yep. So it's tough to beat him in his skills competition at the fastest skater, and she was a second shy of that. Yeah. So so that was impressive. Um, CCM is giving Decker twenty five thousand um, dollars. CCM is a uh, like they make st- hockey sticks, so I guess that's a sponsor. Well, there's that. Um, also, the NHL is giving uh, Kendall Coyne, Brianna Decker, and I think two other women who yeah, also Ren- Renata Fast and just taking a look at the names. Renata Fast, Rebecca Johnston were the other two names. Yeah, so the NHL is giving them uh, a couple of money so that they can uh, they can go to their uh, so they can spend to their charities of their choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty five thousand each, which is a cool gesture for sure. Um, you know, this kind of just shows that, like, like, you know, it's very cool that women, like, these women were able to compete, not only compete, but actually, like, um, impress everyone, um, you know, in this regard. Because, um, like, even, I think, like, Dreisaitl thought that Decker beat her, too, beat him, too, um, in his event. Um, but... You know, it, I think it's it just speaks to like, I kind of just wish the NHL does to these like the CWHL, um, like the NBA does to the WNBA. Just make them a sponsor, so like a lot of these players, women players, don't get paid to the full amount, so that they have a second job. Like the WNBA is like fighting for to be paid a little bit more. Um, but at least they're they're able to make it into a full time job, so that shouldn't be the that shouldn't be the case for the the CWHL or NWHL, where they shouldn't have to get a second job or be forced to retire because they're not making enough money. So, um, so yeah, there's there's that. Um, and then I I guess if we have time, uh, we don't really have time, but I do think we should mention it. 
because our Bruins 10 segments are going to be pretty short. Uh, but PK claims, PK Subban claims that Pierre Edouard Belmar bit him. Um, so we have another biting situation, um, which is, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't think uh, I don't think Belmar got suspended or f- even fined for it. So no, um, I haven't heard anything about that. So uh, I I took a look at the replay and and both have altering opinions. Uh, Belmar said that he ended up with an entire glove in his mouth and he's choking. So um, he he comments obviously when he put his hand in there he removed my mouth guard and then he tried to pull me up so he gets my teeth and then he's acting on it and he started yelling like i bit him i mean i don't know what you have in your mouth but like if you put all of your hand all the way through and you pull up you're going to feel the teeth i'm like what is he doing so that's what he said and then pk said definitively he bit me so my finger was bleeding all i tried to do was grab him i grabbed him by the head to pull him up and he bit me so that's it i don't know how i walked out of there with four minutes so Obviously, there are two altering opinions, and I took a look at several angles on the replays that um, Sportsnet provided on uh, their YouTube page. I can't definitively tell who's right and who is less right here. I mean, it's clear that Subban reaches for Belmar. He's got a glove near his face. Um, at, at first, I can't tell if Subban reaches in and goes for Belmar's mouth or if Belmar puts himself in a spot where he can take a healthy bite out of Subban. There's no definitive angle that shows me that Subban is telling the truth. Same thing for Belmar. All I see is seconds before Belmar is pushed down by Matias Echel. He's on the ice, on his knees, doesn't know whose glove is reaching down towards him. He just sees one of the national players put a glove on his face maybe gives him a face wash, that's it. Then I see, um, as Subban's grabbing Belmar, Belmar goes up off his knees, looks like he's going up on his own power. As he is doing so, he then grabs Subban's right hand in a way where it looks like Subban can't move his hand away from Belmar's face. Then PK gets up and claims to everyone, someone bit his hand. But I don't see any angle where Belmar definitively, definitively bites PK Subban's hand. Maybe you can come to your own conclusion that's what happened, but I don't see it that way. Yeah, I only saw glimpses of it. Uh, I only saw the replay once. Um, yeah, it, it seemed inconclusive to me in terms of if you actually bit him or not. So um, I guess it's not surprising that he got suspe- he didn't get suspended but or uh, fined. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um Let's Just a go. quick uh, thing before we go to the Bruins Sens. Sure. Uh, via NBC Sports, uh, they tweeted, NBC's presentation of last night's NHL All-Star Game delivered a 1.29 overnight rating, third highest for an NHL All-Star Game since 2004, also the best NHL non-playoff primetime overnight since 2014. Nice. And I was talking to you about this off the air. Why are they putting the All-Star Game on a Sunday? Like the Pro Bowl's no threat to them the nfl pro bowl no one watches the pro bowl right so like why are they putting it on a saturday night and the final starts at like 10 o'clock eastern time like no one's yeah like like that's not going to do well in the ratings and clearly i was mistaken so well i was making I the know more about ratings than i do i was making the point that like i like no one really cares about these all-star games even like no one cares about the pro bowl <laughs> but no, you can make the same case but no one really cares about the all-star game either uh yeah true so 
Um, that was more my point. It's just like it doesn't really matter. Um, I feel like that was the whole, like the whole reason why the All Star game was even uh, today or it was this weekend was just because of you know it's be it's in between uh, the Super Bowl and the championship games for the football. So um, so it's not like and like you know if if this was an actual true half of the season it would be um like at the start of january really when everyone's been yeah, playing for the nfl playoffs would right. be like right at the start and exactly so so attention. so even less people would pay attention so this is the way to do it um so yeah <laughs> you're proven wrong already uh yeah. bruin sends you go first all right well uh, we'll stick with the all-star game before i recap sends coyotes from last tuesday um, first off, they're on their bye week now. They resume play Friday in Pittsburgh. They're back at home against Detroit on Saturday. Uh, regarding the All-Star game, Shabbat scored a beauty goal on Holpe at uh, the Safe Street drill. Uh, so uh, good for Thomas Shabbat, repping the Sens well. Glad to see him there. Uh, anyways, on to this very brief rundown. The Sens are down one nothing tanks to Vinny Hinnestros' sixth of the year, 11.39 into period number one. It would stay that way, one nothing outs after 20. Um, Oliver ekman Larson only played 10 minutes and changed, so this is probably where the injury took place that we mentioned in our injury section. Just 69 seconds in the second period. Nice. Bobby Ryan is able to even the score with his 11th of the year. Uh, Short-lived for Ottawa because then Hinnestrosa gets his second of the game minutes later, and then Derek Stefan chimes in with his 10th a few minutes after that. Arizona's up 3-1 after two. Struggle for the Sens early on from a team perspective. The team play wasn't where it needed to be. Um, and they found themselves in a two-goal uh, deficit heading into the third period. Hail the common day hero, Ryan Dezingle, who is now a 20-goal scorer. He gives Ottawa some life with 12 minutes and change left in regulation. But as is the norm, Sens run out of time, can't tie the game. They lose another close one, three to two. Um, it's good to see, again, they're still in a lot of these games on the scoreboard, but... They just can't find the pure talent to piece the puzzle together to orchestrate a comeback. And um, again, we find out this team still has a long way to go before they can uh, consider themselves a playoff contender. Okay. Uh, wait, who do you have this week? Uh, I just said uh, Friday in Pittsburgh. Oh, you did uh, Saturday at home versus Detroit. I will also give a shout out to Christian Mullanen who is playing in the AHL All-Star game, I believe Drake Batherson is also taking part as well. So congrats to both of them. All right, nice. Uh, yeah, so the uh, first off, I'm going to start with the All-Star game. First off, uh, David Pasternak won the shooting accuracy challenge, which is mm -hmm. awesome, with a time of 11.309. Um, I don't think it was any record or anything, but I believe he's the first Bruin to win this accuracy shooting competition. Uh, the last uh, Bruin to win a skills competition like this was uh, Zdeno Chara. I'm in the hardest shot back when Chara was invited to these things. Um, but um, so so there's that. Um, he also he beat out Chris Letang, Drew Doughty, Joe Pavelski, and Blake Wheeler, um, who all were the fit, who all had um, who were all the top five. Um, or in you know, the top six, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Pasternak says, after the first shot, I was like, oh, that can't be good. A week off, didn't see myself hitting anything under 20 seconds. 
really happy with my time. So uh, it turned so that was good. Um, and also Pasternak, um, the Atlantic only played in one game in the All-Star game and Pasternak was on a line with Eichel and Skinner and he uh, Pasternak assisted on both their goals. Um, so so that was cool to see. Um, the Bruins play Winnipeg on Tuesday. Uh, then they play uh, Philly on on Thursday, um, and then they play the uh, Washington Capitals on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, at twelve thirty. So it won't it won't um, coalesce with the actual Super Bowl when the Patriots play, but um, <laughs> it is kind of funny because it's like. They didn't expect the Patriots to play in the Super Bowl, so they schedule a Bruins game in in the afternoon. Um, it's I don't know I don't know who's at fault there, but um, I think I think they should just not play a game on Super Bowl Sunday, so yeah. the Patriots are going to be in it every year. I know that's what I like. That's what I feel like they like they they should know that like they should just schedule teams that they like that are have a good football like a bat they know aren't going to be in the Super Bowl just so that they can worry about it. Luckily, it's on it's on at 12:30 p.m., so it's not going to be a big thing, but it will be kind of um it'll be an interesting day in my household for sure. Um on that note, go Pats. Uh <laughs> we're uh we're on SoundCloud, uh iTunes, subscribe if you haven't already. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Follow if you haven't already. Um, and our, our 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 Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, yep, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve. Uh, Lace Up Podcast. Yeah, go Pats.